Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And this week, Jesus is superior to Moses. And when you say Jesus is superior to Moses, them's fighting words. If you want to look at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you're made holy by your faith in Christ, by the blood of Christ, who share in the heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. The apostle, the apostle is one sent. He was sent to be our savior and high priest. The high priest is one who is in heaven interceding, <laughs> praying for you every single moment. And that's mind boggling. Hebrews 3.2 says, he was faithful to the one who appointed him. That's God the father. Just as Moses was faithful in all God's house, meaning the house of Israel. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone or some man, but God is the builder of everything. And we'll talk about that. Moses was faithful as a servant in, that's important, that preposition, all God's house. And then verse 6, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. And that's the word of God that we want to focus on today. And you go back to verse 3, and verse 3 says again, it says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. And to say that Jesus is greater than Moses to a devout Hebrew Jewish person living then is like, it's like somebody insulting your mother. It's like somebody insulting your nationality or your heritage or your country. See, we don't know who the human author of Hebrews is, but whoever he is, this guy had a lot of guts to say in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 3, Jesus is greater than Moses, just like the builder of the house, and the house is Israel, has greater honor than the house itself. And I look at verse 4 of Hebrews 3, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. And that reminds me of this geneticist who said to God, I bet I can clone a man as good as you can create a man, or better. And God said, you're on. And so the guy went out and got his pile of dirt to clone his man. And God says, hold on, go make your own dirt. Every house, wire, stone, wood, all that stuff, drywall, is built by some man, but he that built everything is God himself. And so the whole deal is Jesus is superior. That's the theme of Hebrews, superior to angels, superior to the great Jewish hero Moses. And as I wrote this, I thought about um, John chapter 9. In John 9, Jesus gives sight back to this blind man. And the Pharisees, who are very, very devout, dedicated Jews, badger this guy who was healed of his blindness. And they say, this Jesus didn't heal you, did he? You weren't blind in the first place. This has all been a hoax, right? Well, tell us about this Jesus who supposedly healed you. And in verse 27, the guy answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. I, do, do you guys want to, why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become one of his disciples too? Now listen to this, and then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple, we are disciples 
of Moses to say Jesus is greater than Moses took courage. See? Well, here's why Jesus is greater than or superior to Moses. First of all, you got to know this. And this is doctrine, but Moses in the Bible represents the law. He's the great lawgiver, and Jesus represents the gospel. Again, Moses represents law. Jesus represents gospel. And you can just see. I mean, if you look at Exodus 19. In Exodus 19, maybe you guys remember... Um, you know that the people of Egypt were, sl- I'm sorry, the people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and then God delivers these people after 400 plus years of bondage from a very stubborn Pharaoh, and the people say, well, we want to see this God who delivered us. We want to see him. We want to see what he looks like. And Moses probably thinking to himself, come on, he um, turned the Nile River into blood? He... Um, Created frogs in your beds, frogs in your food, hail, darkness, all that stuff. Firstborn dies, parts the waters of the Red Sea. What more do you need? Why do you want to see? But God says, that's okay, Moses. I will appear to them on such and such a day, and I'll appear on Mount Sinai. Exodus 19, verse 10 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes. Exodus 19.11, and be ready on the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, okay? And so now, at long last, the people of Israel are going to see God. Here comes God, verse 16. On the morning of the third day there was thunder. This is Exodus 19. There was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud, a thick cloud hanging over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. I mean, get that, thunder, lightning, a loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And get this, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled or shook violently. The sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder. And that's how God appeared. I mean, these people were terrified. And then you go to verse 20. And the Lord descended to the top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the people of Israel watched Moses go up into this billowing, thundering, shaking mountain. And they wonder if he'll ever come back. Can you see Moses walk up into this? There goes their leader, into that smoke. And on the mountain, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and that's all in the next chapter, Exodus 20, a list of the Ten Commandments. And along with that, all the civil and ceremonial laws. And Moses brings those commandments on two tablets of stone down to the people. You see, Moses is the great lawgiver, and Jesus is the gospel. He's the great lawgiver, and Jesus is the gospel. Now, here's the big deal. This same God, this same God who appeared to these people as billowing smoke, a thundering, shaking mountain, appeared thousands of years later. I'm just going to look at Luke 19 here for a minute. In Luke 19, you've got this man whose name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, and he was a tax collector. He was a Jewish man who collected taxes for the Roman government, and the people hated him because that tax that he collected kind of symbolized the control that Rome had over the land of the Jews, okay? And I believe that Zacchaeus hated himself for what he had become. And Jesus is coming into the city of Jericho, and right now Jesus is at the pinnacle of his popularity. 
And I believe there's a lot of people like Zacchaeus around today, too, who really don't like themselves for their sin and what they've become. And so you've got thousands of people on either side of the road going into Jericho just waiting to see this Jesus. And so Zacchaeus climbs a tree to see him, never in a million years expecting Jesus to notice him. And he stops. I mean, there's thousands of people clamoring to see him, and Jesus stops beneath that tree, right beneath that tree. And he looks up. He says, Zacchaeus, let's have lunch together. Verse 7, Luke 19. I mean, all these religious Jews, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. You want to see what Jesus can do to a heart? You don't think Jesus can change a heart? I mean, this guy was so consumed with riches and wealth at one point in his life. I mean, you want to see a transformed life? They eat together. I'm sure they talk over life. And in verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. I mean, this guy gave away just about every cent he had. Because something else took over his life. Something else filled his heart. That is the same God, the very same God who appeared to the Jews way back when in thunder and lightning and billowing smoke and a shaking mountain, this same God who sat down with Zacchaeus and offered him life and changed his life. And see, that's the gospel. Moses gives the law. Jesus brings the gospel. The word gospel means good news. The gospel means mercy. The gospel means grace. I heard this guy on the radio. He was an Arab Muslim. And it was taken from his family when he was very, very young, two, three years old. And they put him in a camp to train him as a terrorist. And all his life, all this hate for the Jews and the Americans and anybody who's non-Muslim was pumped into his mind and into his heart. And he was taught that the only way you can be assured of salvation, of going to heaven, is if you die for Allah. And then there's 70 beautiful virgin ladies at your beck and call. But you had to be willing to blow yourself up along with any Jews and non-Muslims around you. And he said, I was afraid of this so-called God, Allah. I was afraid if I didn't do this, man, I would burn forever in hell. I mean, there was no assurance of heaven. And then, he, and then he said, somebody told me the good news. See, there's that word gospel. Somebody told me the good news that the one true God forgives my sins, and they have been washed away by this guy, Jesus, who I've been told my whole life long is just a prophet like Muhammad. And he said, he said, now I know, he said, now I know that the true God receives me and loves me and gives me eternal life. And he says, nothing has ever thrilled me like that. And folks, that is the gospel. The gospel is grace. The gospel is mercy. His whole life now is devoted to telling other people or telling other Muslims about the gospel. See, God never changes. We see him on Mount Sinai giving the law to Moses. And we see the very heart of that same God seeking out this guy, Zacchaeus, standing at the, beneath a tree and, call, and calling him by name and saying, come on, Zacchaeus, I've got a better plan for your life. We've got to have lunch together. It's law and gospel, folks. You've got law, you've got gospel. Law, gospel, and we need both. My mom used to tell me before she died, she calls me Denny. She says, Denny, I go to church, and all I hear about is Jesus. Jesus loves you. And she says, that's really good. But she says, once in a while, I need to hear that I'm a stinker. And see, here we are, people. I'm talking about law and gospel. And we have the word of God. And we have to use the law, too. 
because the law is good. There is a purpose in the law. The law can never save you, but the law is good. And sometimes we have to use the law to tell people they're stinkers. Now get this. Christians who have the truth of Scripture need to confront sin in themselves first, but also in other people. See, you have to dig the knife before the bomb of the gospel can mean anything. I mean, God gave us the law in his word through Moses on Mount Sinai to bless us. In that law, God gives us limits, boundaries, parameters. And if you cross that boundary, you're going to mess up your life. That's why God gave you the law. God gave you and me the commandments, the law to bless us. Because here's the line. God knows if you cross that line, your life is going to get all messed up. So what you and I need to ask ourselves is, who's off God's best path today that you know about? I mean, someone in your life who's off God's best path and you can help them, especially the people in your lives, especially the people you really love. You pray for these people, you feel for these people, you cry for these people, but you're afraid to speak about what you know is so wrong in their lives and you let it go 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 and they're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into their sin mess. And you know, we tell these people, oh, I love you so much. Come on, that's nonsense. And how can you say to a person, I love you so much, and you see the wrong path they're going on, and you know they're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this mess, be it a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, a child, I don't care who it is, someone at work, and they're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this mess. And you have the law, and you can tell them the right path. And for whatever reason, you're not telling them. I mean, you can't say you really love that person if you're not doing that. In our memory passage for today is Ephesians chapter 4. I'm looking at verses 14 and 15 in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and cunning with the cunning of crap. I'm sorry. Blown here and there with every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. And then Paul says, Instead, speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. The Apostle Paul tells us about his world and ours. I mean, people were being tossed back and forth by all this false teaching, all these lies, all, all, all this garbage. Like, um, live as you please, everybody goes to heaven. And foolishness like that. And Paul says, bless these people. Instead of always placating these people, he says, speak the truth in love. And so, folks, we need to look inside ourselves and we need to ask Am I doing this? Am I saying this because I love this person and I want them off that path that's leading to nowhere or leading to all that bad stuff and I want them back on God's best path? You know, a tone of voice means a lot. Your body language means a lot. The right time means a lot. But do we really love them if we don't do that? So we have to confront sin with the law and get him back on the best path. Jesus is superior to Moses. That's what this whole thing about. The gospel is superior to the law. Verse 3 of Hebrews 3. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. The law, is, the gospel is superior to the law. The gospel is superior to the law. Anyway, here's the thing, here's the thing. The world of demons, and this is subtle deception, leads us to believe there is always a catch. Grace isn't grace, there is always a catch. See, God word, see, listen, God's word teaches that you can't be saved for eternal life by doing good, by keeping the law, no matter how good you are. See, eternal life with Jesus forever 
is free, and that's gospel. And you admit to yourself and to God, to yourself first, I'm not good enough to earn heaven. I'll never be good enough. I can't be good enough. And then the same word of God comes across with the gospel that Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly for you. Trust in him. And the Father puts this this cloak on you, this cloak of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the Father sees you as totally righteous, and you are now acceptable for heaven. And people say that's too good. There has to be a catch. Uh Uh-uh. There is no catch. That's the gospel. In the gospel, not the law saves. Listen, folks, I have, no, I have nobody specific in mind when I say this, but, but how can you say I love you to somebody and not cry out in your soul? How can you say I love you and not cry out in here that they don't go to hell, that they spend their eternity in heaven? How can you not delude yourself by thinking they're going to heaven when they have, they show no interest whatsoever, they show no interest whatsoever in the Lord Jesus Christ? How can you not, in your very soul, somehow want to communicate to these people, it's not the law that's going to save you. It's not the law, honey. It's not the law, mom. It's not the law, dad. It's not the law, you person that I love, that's going to get you into heaven being good. But it's the gospel of grace that it's a free gift of God given by trusting his son, Jesus Christ. And so gospel, gospel is superior to law. Jesus, who is the gospel, is superior to Moses, who is the law. Listen, I want to help us get a grip on who God is. And I need this as much as anybody else, because I don't think we people who believe in Jesus Christ really have a handle on who God is. And I'm serious about that. Uh, because I'll do something sinful, and so will you. And then I'll think, now, because I've done something sinful, I have to do something good to balance this out. The Father loves you and me. Here it comes, folks, unconditionally. And I don't think we get a hold of that. You know, somehow we got to balance out these scales of justice. I have this good day, bad day syndrome. You know, I bet you do too, because I look at a good day when I do a whole lot for the Lord, and I really get a lot done for the Lord, see? Then I think God favors me more. And when I have a bad day, and I don't accomplish as much as I thought I should for the Lord, then I think God favors me less. And what we forget is this, man. We forget that God's love is unconditional. Once you trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, listen, you cannot sin a sin that could make the Father love you less. There is no sin the Father will not forgive and also give you the grace to change because of what a son did for you. And folks, I want to tell you something. That's liberating. That's real freedom. When you understand that, man, I'll tell you what. When you understand that, you're free to put your past behind you and put whatever it is behind you that's, that you feel you have to write and accept God's forgiving grace and quit moping about it and go out and serve and be free. I mean, you got to get a handle on God, man. His love is absolutely unconditional. Jesus is superior to, the Moses, to Moses because grace is superior to the law. And this law-grace thing affects so many parts of our lives. Law will never change anybody. you got to know that. Law will never change anybody, only grace. I looked at Mark chapter 10. There's a neat story in here about this um, rich young dude who comes to Jesus And he's concerned about his eternal life. He wants Jesus to verify he has eternal life. And he says to Jesus, I have kept the whole law. And in verse 21, he says, I've kept all the commandments. And in in, in verse 21 of Mark 10, I, I like this. Jesus looked at this man 
Don't you love this and loved him? Hey, Jesus, I've kept the whole law. <laughs> I'm in, right? Do I need to do any more? See? Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack. He said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Let's look at that again. He says, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. That's the law. Jesus dug the knife. He told the guy what he wasn't doing and what he had to do. But notice, that's not where it ends. It goes on, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. See, Jesus gave this guy something to think about. The Bible never tells us the end of that story. But maybe that rich young dude said at some point in his life, he's right. He wants me. Messed up me, flubbed up me to follow him, and he offers me riches in heaven. He offers me discipleship. He offers me real life. And people, that is gospel, and that's transforming. And like I said, we never know what happened to this guy. The Bible doesn't tell us. But if this guy came to the Lord, it's certainly not the law that changed this guy. It's the gospel that changed this guy. And when we talked about Zacchaeus in Luke 19, he says, come down out of that tree. And they had a meal together, and they talked about his life, and I know Jesus dug in the knife. Zacchaeus, where's your life-headed guy? Come on. But then he held out the possibilities. He's a Zacchaeus. He says, this is where you are. It's where you are now. But this is what, where you can be, man. Just trust in me. Here's where you are. I mean, you're all consumed with wealth. I mean, you're, you're in love with all the wrong things. But this is where you can be. And what changed Zacchaeus, law or gospel, Jesus or Moses, we can put it that way. And what do we say? Oh, you will never change. Don't, 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 don't do this, don't touch that, don't do this, this is wrong. For a woman, we call it nagging. For a guy, I guess we may call it harassing with words or something like that. And folks, I'm, we need that. We need those don'ts, we need those gentle criticisms, we, we, we need that. There's got to be law before the gospel means anything. But do you ever say or say it like this? You're better than that. You know, I know you. And then list the good things because it's the acceptance. You've got to know this. It's, it's the forgiveness. It's the come follow me. It's the, you know, you're better than that, Zacchaeus. This is where you are. This is where you can be. It's this, uh, you flubbed up, but I love you regardless. It's, it's the empowerment. It's, it's, it's that approach that transforms. It's gospel over law. The gospel of grace trumps law. Jesus trumps Moses. And Jesus is superior to Moses because Moses was very moody. And Jesus was very consistent. Moses was very up and down. I remember when, when the Lord appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And he said, I'm going to deliver the people of Israel, and Moses, you're my guy to deliver them. And Moses comes up with all these excuses, all these excuses. I can't do this. I can't do that. And finally, okay, he says yes. And then when God delivers the Jews, they're wandering in the wilderness. Moses is the leader, and they grumble and they complain. There's no water. There's no meat. We hate this manna. And Moses said, Lord, I can't stand all this complaining. I can't stand all this grumbling. I don't want to leave these people anymore. Get this out of there. Get, get, you know, get me out of this or take my life. And God says, okay, I'll get you out of it. I'll destroy all these people and start a brand new nation with you. And Moses, oh, no, 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 no. I was only kidding, God. Can't you take a joke? You know, I was only kidding. Can't you take a joke? I mean, he's up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And see, folks, Jesus was consistent, even predictable. You know, God is not predictable, but Jesus was sometimes predictable. When you came to him, you knew for sure you'd receive mercy. He is all about mercy. 
When you came to him with a broken heart over your sin, you knew he would never turn you away, never. He would never condone your sin. Just like the woman who was caught in adultery, he said, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. See, he knew you wouldn't condemn you. Our Lord was very, very consistent. And so today we've seen in Jesus and we've seen Jesus in Hebrews part two. And we've seen in Hebrews chapter three that Jesus is greater than Moses, their beloved hero. And as you apply that, sometimes if we really love somebody, we can't let them go down a path of sin that's going to hurt them. We need to address that sin with the law, but then you always bring in the gospel. We've seen that Jesus is the gospel, and Moses represents the law, and that gospel trumps law every time. And we need the law, but the, God, the law can't save you. The law can never save you. The gospel can't. The law is necessary, but it'll never change anybody. The gospel will. We've seen how we try and do good to balance out the scales of justice, and we have that good day, bad day syndrome, as if God doesn't love us as much on a bad day as he does on a good day, and all that stuff, and all that is nonsense, and we have to get a hold of God's unconditional love. And I just pray that these words are somehow a blessing to you, in Jesus' name. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.